Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. When you don't understand, I'm not going to ask for a raising of hands, but I'm sure all of us at some point in our lives and probably at multiple points in our lives have been in situations where God is doing things that we really can't understand. Uh, where God is asking us to believe things that don't seem to happen. God is asking us to do things that seem impossible. And we just wonder, what on earth is he up to? And so we're gonna be addressing the topic of waiting and not understanding why God has us in these holding patterns and how do we get through it? What is he doing when it seems like nothing is happening and what will he do to strengthen us? Um, So we'll see if we've got a friend and a clicker. Here we go. So the book of Daniel contains prophecies that are very important for us to know and to understand. Do we believe that here this morning? Yes, we we believe very strongly in the prophetic books of Daniel and Revelation and their relevance today, and they are more relevant now than they have ever been. Even Jesus himself testifies to this in Matthew 24 when he says, let him who reads understand. And he's referring to the book of Daniel. But it's not just a book of important prophecies. This book is also filled with many practical stories that teach us how to live in the light of these prophecies. That every story in Daniel's life or in his friends' lives in this book, within those practical stories or just seeming historical stories, are very practical counsel on how you and I can live in the midst of those important prophecies that we hold so dear. And so I'd like to look at some of those today, uh, some important parts of Daniel's life that I believe are very relevant to us this morning. So Daniel's in Babylon. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 8 to begin. You can turn there if you like. We'll give you some background as you're turning there. Daniel chapter 8. Daniel is in Babylon. He's a captive. He was a prisoner of war, and he's seen God work for him while he's there, which has been an encouragement to him in the midst of a discouraging situation. But something has happened here in Daniel 8 that really unsettles Daniel. First of all, the people of God are under attack by this little horn that he sees in a vision. If you're not acquainted with this vision, it's the one of the ram and the he-goat. There are two animals that are kind of warring with one another. One of them wins. Uh, The goat has four horns, and eventually out of those four horns comes a small horn or a little horn uh, depicting very strong religio-political power later in earth's history, not during Daniel's time. But it doesn't matter. um, As Daniel's working through this and he's trying to make sense of it, It doesn't make matters better when he's kind of wrestling with the things that he's seeing in this vision and the people of God being persecuted and the truth being trampled underfoot. It's really unsettling to him, but it doesn't make matters better when there's an an angelic being that hears some of this vision and the response that's given to the other angel is, well, how long is this going to go on? And the answer is, like, just imagine, first of all, Like, it's bad. What you're watching is bad. It's unsettling. And it's so unsettling that one of the angels even says, well, how long is that going to go on? I don't know about you, but that that would make me even more discouraged after what I just saw. Like, that's pretty bad. How long is this going to take place? But the answer that's given is unto 2,300 days or evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Now, this is not a study on that. Um, But the idea that it's going to be 2,300 evenings and mornings until the sanctuary shall be cleansed, and then a more detailed interpretation of the vision is given, 
uh, when it comes to the time portion and what that means. And that's in verse 26, but we're not going to go there right now. But this idea of Daniel chapter 8 and verse 14, that under 2,300 days, then a sanctuary is going to be cleansed. Imagine being Daniel. You were under the impression that you're going to be in exile for 70 years according to what Jeremiah was told and what he prophesied. But now you're hearing this story that it's going to be 2,300 days, Daniel would understand this is years, until the sanctuary is cleansed. Well, the sanctuary is destroyed in Jerusalem. So he's thinking to himself, whoa, 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 you promised us 70 years. Are you saying that we're going to be here another 2,300 years? And this leads to Daniel being deeply discouraged and confused, and he's just trying to make sense of what's being said here. Because I don't know about you, but there are certain aspects and seasons of my life where I kind of budget my emotional energy. Anyone else ever does that? Right? You just need to make it through finals week, and then after that, we'll be okay. I just need to make it through the holidays, right? The extra hours trying to grind to make sure family has a good Christmas, whatever the story may be. So imagine Daniel and his people have, they're pacing themselves for 70 years in exile, but now you're being told, oh, it's going to be longer than that. Based upon what Daniel thinks, that's not what this vision is talking about, but Daniel has nothing else to work with and he doesn't understand what's being said or what it means. So he's thinking they're going to have to wait even longer now. Now, the, later, uh, the angel will later tell him that the primary part of the vision of Daniel 8, uh, the kind of the war on truth and stuff, will be at the time of the end. But the vision concerning the 2300 days, which is a different Hebrew word altogether, is still confusing him. He doesn't understand it, and it's still weighing heavily upon him at the close of the chapter. And the only real interpretation he's given about it is that it's true. Well, that doesn't really help me because I'm really stressed out by what I thought I heard and what I'm being told is it's true. But then go to verse 15 in Daniel 8. Then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli and who called and said, Gabriel, make this man, and what's the next word there? Understand the vision. This is a really important phrase used throughout Daniel 8 and 9. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid, and I fell on my face. But he said to me, again, understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. And now, as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. It was so overwhelming to him that he just gives out. Anyone else just, like, cash out when you get really, really stressed? You just need to sleep it off? Anyone else ever been there? Daniel's in the midst of this type of scenario. He just, he just loses it. He has nothing left to give. He's in a deep sleep on his face to the ground, but the angel touched him and stood him upright. And I love this, that God is so willing to minister to us when we are overwhelmed in the things that we don't understand. He's ministered to. He's strengthened. And this theme continues throughout this section. Go to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Now that we have the context from Daniel 8 of what's stressing Daniel out, Daniel 9 takes place 15 years after the Daniel 8 experience. So he has no resolution in this thing that's really stressing him out. He's thinking, we, he doesn't really know all of what's going on. It could be that we've been unfaithful in Babylon, and so God's tacking on more time, right? We're already doing a hard time, and we got more added to our sentence. He doesn't know. And he won't know for another 15 years of uncertainty and wrestling and stress and discouragement. 
even after the angel strengthens him, he still has got to wait 15 years. Now, that's a long time to deal with not knowing what's going on. Now, he misunderstood what was being referred to with the sanctuary being cleansed. So he thought that the, after the 70 years, they're going home. But now you're saying we're not going home. And it, he's been there the entire time. Imagine being Daniel. He was part of the initial exile, and he lives through the entire time of captivity. All 70 years, this guy is alive living through this, hoping we get to go home soon, and that answer is not coming his direction. This is why he faints. So, maybe you've been in circumstances like this, that everything that God is seeming to tell you is just outside of your grasp. Maybe you're waiting on your children to come back to the Lord. Maybe you're waiting on healing or a different diagnosis. Maybe you're waiting to find a job or a financial breakthrough. And God is encouraging you, I am going to provide. I long to bless you, but man, it sure doesn't look like it right now. You ever been there? Well, Daniel's life story here and what God does for him is meant to help us in these moments. It can be crippling to us. When the promises of God seem to continually be beyond your grasp. But the very fact that he didn't give up on seeking understanding and was studying is an important lesson to us. We'll see this in Daniel 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books. Sorry, I've been skipping on my computer, but not on your computer. My bad. There we go. Um, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Now, this is an important lesson for us. As Daniel is overwhelmed, he doesn't just stay in bed for 15 years, right? Daniel recognizes, I, I just need to make sense that I understood what God was saying. So he digs into the scriptures, Daniel is digging into the prophecies, he's wrestling with God, he's wrestling with the text, and he's seeking understanding. And I think this is a very important lesson for you and I again today, that he doesn't give up. Because many of us, when we're overwhelmed by the stuff that life deals us, it's really easy to get less spiritual. It's really easy to get less disciplined spiritually. You don't read your Bible as much anymore. You don't spend time praying to God because, you know, God seems to be just tacking on more to my sentence. It's hard. I'm discouraged. But there's an important principle here for us that when we are overwhelmed, when we don't understand what God is doing, this is not a time to get rid of spiritual disciplines. It's a time to dig in even deeper. This is so important for us. Daniel doesn't get less spiritual. He digs even deeper in the midst of these discouraging moments. And he's clearly wondering if they're reaping the curse of Deuteronomy 28 and will end up with a longer exile than originally foretold. So he pleads with God to keep his promise of 70 years and no longer. Verse 3, Then I set my face towards the Lord to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. They were told, we'll read this here in just a moment, they were told to look towards Jerusalem and to pray towards Jerusalem, and God would hear them. So Daniel's turning his face towards Jerusalem and praying. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. Now, is God aware of the fact that he keeps covenant with his people? Yes or no? But Daniel is reminding God that God has promised to keep covenant with his people, which is another lesson for us. Moses did this regularly. God says, enough of this foolishness. I'm going to make a kingdom out of you, right? Out of you, 
These people have got, they're just a mess. I'm gonna make a kingdom out of you. And Moses says, you can't do that. The Egyptians are gonna hear about it and you promised that you would deliver this nation clinging to God's promises and reminding God of what God himself has promised you. This is another important practical lesson for us that we see in this lesson. Then verse five, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Now, from everything we've seen to the life of Daniel, this guy has hold his own pretty well. He's been in difficult circumstances. He's been tempted to get, you know, kind of loose on his principles and he won't do it. The guy stands like a rock in every circumstance, and it could be really easy to say, they have been unfaithful. They have been unloyal, because he had been loyal. But Daniel doesn't do that. Daniel assumes responsibility for the corporate group at large. Do you see this? Daniel's saying, we have sinned. We have been unfaithful. We have, not, we have departed from your precepts and from your judgments. So it says that he was searching the prophecies of Jeremiah. Where would he be searching? Go to Jeremiah chapter 25. Keep your finger here. We'll come back. Go to Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah chapter 25 and beginning in verse 12. Jeremiah chapter 25 and beginning in verse 12. Now, the background for this text is that God has spoken through Jeremiah, and he begins by sharing that Jeremiah and other prophets were sent to them, that God woke up early sending them to them, and the people are not listening. The message is not being heeded, and he's calling them to repent for this. He's reminding them to not go after other gods, to not provoke them to anger any longer, but you don't listen to me. God's making this passionate appeal. Then we get to verse 12. Then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation's, the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, says the Lord. And I will make it a perpetual desolation. So I will bring on that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book which Jeremiah has prophesied concerning all the nations. So because you aren't listening, I'm calling Babylon to come and take you captive. And the whole land will be desolate. No more celebrations and you're going to serve Nebuchadnezzar, my servant, for 70 years. But this is not the only place where Daniel would have searched to see what God said about their current circumstances. He also is going to be reading into Jeremiah chapter 29. And this is amazing to me. Jeremiah chapter 29. So in Jeremiah 25, the captivity is yet to take place. But in Jeremiah chapter 29, it's a current reality. They're now there in captivity. And God reminds them of their fate and how they got there, but he doesn't stop there. He says, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. And then he tells them to put down roots. You're going to be there a while. Plant gardens, get married, have kids, and seek the peace of the place where you have been taken captive. And this message was not well received. We don't want to stay in Babylon. We don't want this to go on. So people didn't listen to him. But God's saying, you're going to be there a while. Put down roots and pray for the peace of the place that you're going to be. But look at the very next thing that comes out of God's mouth. This is a promise that many of us maybe have claimed, but we did not know the context of it. The very next thing that God says is, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. 
thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and you will go and pray to me and what's God gonna do? I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Think, 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 think with me, guys. The very context of this promise that you and I have claimed many times is that there is a people who have not been faithful to God who are reaping the consequences of terrible, selfish decisions, of refusing to take God at his word, and it's in that context that God says, I still desire to bless you. My promise to you is not over, even though you're not living in harmony with what I would have for you. I still want to bless you, I still want to provide for you, and I'm giving you the, the invitation to come boldly into my presence. And when you pray and seek me with all of your heart, I'm gonna listen to you. And I think this is so amazing because some of us right now are in that season of wandering. We've made decisions we know we shouldn't have made. We're reaping the consequences of it. And we have been afraid to come into his presence and ask for any blessings because of who he's been, who we have been. And God's making abundantly clear to us today that's not how this works. Your access to my presence is not because of what you do. It's because of who I am. And I give grace. I am an agent of reconciliation. And I'm a God who still longs to bless my people. This is such an important lesson for us. And we never even see the context of this. But it's such a blessing, uh, at least it has been to me, in studying this out. So we're starting to see then where this passion of Daniel's prayer in Daniel 9 comes from. God's telling him to pray passionately. Plead with me and I will hear you. For one, he really wants to understand what God is doing because it seems like that judgment of 70 years just got way longer. He's concerned about that. And that's good enough a reason to pray with all your guts. But God is also giving an invitation here to swing for the fences. Call upon me and search for me with all of your heart and I'll hear you. Yes, you've been unfaithful and you've received the rightful judgment I promised to give, but I still have plans for you and even to prosper. Somebody here needs to hear that today. You're going through a hard patch right now and God's telling you he's not done with you. Then we get to verse 14. Says, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place of which I cause you to be carried away captive. What I love is Daniel's trying to search anything God had said about the Babylonian captivity because a 2300 year thing is really, it's really freaking him out. But what I love is as he's just searching to confirm what he thought God had said, in that search, he stumbles upon this gorgeous promise that God's grace is still available, God still wants to bless and provide for his people, and that God is going to keep his promise to bring them home at the time that he said that he would bring them home. And we can't lose sight of this, guys. It's only by searching that Daniel found the reward of confirmation and blessings and healing answers from God. You're not gonna find those answers when you're upset at what God is doing and this thing is closed. Are you understanding? When we're hurting, when we don't understand what God is doing, it's not the time to neglect fellowship. God is inviting us to increase our fellowship. And when Daniel did that, he found blessings. When Daniel chose to dig deeper and to not loosen his spiritual disciplines, he found blessings when he needed them the most. 
And that's why many people quit in the Christian experience. They never took hold of the blessings that God wanted to give them. Ella White, one of the founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, she was given this vision and her attending angel was asking, uh, she was asking the attending angel, why is it that there's so little faith amongst the people of God? And the response she was given was, you let go of the hand of the Lord too soon. Many of us lose blessings because we quit before God provided them. That's not God's fault. God longs to bless us, and we see that in Jeremiah chapter 29. But this isn't the only place that Daniel would have been searching to hear what God was going to do. Go to 2 Chronicles 6. 2 Chronicles chapter 6, this is Solomon dedicating the temple. 2 Chronicles chapter 6, and you can turn to verse 36. I'll give you a little bit of backdrop, I think, here. Solomon begins his prayer with acknowledging that God keeps covenant with his people. Have we heard that before? Yeah, it was in Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9. And he shows them mercy when they walk before him with all their hearts. It's a similar promise to Jeremiah 29. Then he goes into the fact that God kept his promise to his father David. And then he pleads with God to keep the other promises he's made in keeping David's lineage on the throne. So Solomon is claiming God's promises and holding God to those. And a similar promise was given to Solomon to answer his prayer, uh, that when they are unfaithful and pray towards this temple, that we should hear them, or that God would hear them. And it's super interesting because Daniel does this. How many times a day, by the way? Three times a day. It got him in trouble in Daniel chapter 6. They made a law saying anyone who prays to anyone other than the king is getting a death penalty. They're going into the lion's den. And yet Daniel, three times a day, opens his window towards Jerusalem and prays. Why? Because God promised that if you pray, I will hear. But Daniel's been praying that way three times a day for 70 years with seeming no answers. Now, there's a timeline. It's 70 years that it'll be completed. But just imagine, you can get discouraged, right? Would you do that every day for 70 years, hoping that God would still keep his promise when every day you're still in enemy-occupied territory? That would be difficult. But again, Daniel does not relinquish his disciplines even in discouraging circumstances. He stays entrenched. He stays connected. He keeps pleading with God, and God honors those who honor him. Nothing would keep him from communing with and trusting his God and holding him to his word. Go to verse 36. And when they sin against you, for there's no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy and take them captive to a land far or near, yet when they come to themselves... That's the language of the prodigal son, by the way. When you come to yourself in a foreign land that you squandered your life, you're making a mess of things, you can recognize, I have sinned, I have transgressed, and God is willing to receive you back. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they're carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned, we have done wickedly and committed wickedness. Was somebody praying that in Daniel chapter 9, by the way? Where do you think he learned this? And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land, same promise of Jeremiah 29, of their captivity where they've been carried captive and prayed towards the land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you've chosen and toward the temple which I've built in your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplications and maintain their cause 
and forgive your people who have sinned against you. And now, my God, I pray, let your eyes be open and let your ears be attentive to the prayer made in this place. Now, therefore, arise, O Lord God, to your resting place in the ark of your strength. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation and let the saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Remember the mercies of your servant, David. So go back to Daniel 9 now. And what we're going to see here is this guy knew Scripture. This guy was searching the Bible for any promise he could find, right? Was just turning the thing upside down and looking for any blessing to come out of this thing to keep him and sustain him in the midst of the difficult trials and circumstances that he was going through in his life. So I'm going to go back to verse 4. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. He's quoting 2 Chronicles 6. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and judgments. Also 2 Chronicles 6. Verse 6. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, that's Jeremiah 25, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face as it is this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those afar off, in all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. That's Deuteronomy 28. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings and our princes and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed against your law. And then it says something very interesting in verse... Uh, go to verse, we'll go to 12. And he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. But go to verse 13, here it is. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God. He realizes we've been suffering because we haven't done what you told us to do. To come to you, to pray to you, to cling to the promises you've made, to forgive us, to bless us, to restore us, and to help us. We've not prayed that prayer, but I'm praying it right now. And then we skip down to verse 16. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your... uh, Fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are reproached to those all around us. Now, therefore, okay, we'll stop at verse 16 for a second here. So he acknowledges God's charge in verse 6 in Jeremiah 25. You sent prophets and we didn't listen. Later in verse 13, we did not pray to you. And he confesses that we don't deserve grace, but you're a merciful God. We're seeking grace not because we deserve it. We're seeking it because you've promised it and we see that we need it. His prayer is so God-focused. Do you notice that? It's so easy in our hardship and in our trials to say, God, please do this for me, do this for me, do this for me, do this for me. But Daniel's focus, his prayer is so focused on God and who God has claimed to be and what God has promised to do instead of on himself. Moses did this as well. Then he closes again in verse 19, uh, skipping down a little bit where he says, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive. O Lord, do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. And he says, hear our prayers, 
Shine on the sanctuary that's desolate, verse 17, and incline your ear, open your eyes. And again, we don't present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies in verse 18. So Daniel is swinging for the fences here, and now we know why. God told him to. God's saying, if you plead with me, I will hear you and I will bless you. Then we get to verse 20. So as Daniel is speaking and praying and confessing his sins and the sins of his people and presenting supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, he's making it abundantly clear, when the words were still in my mouth, something happens. And guys, this is so important because when you know the promises that Daniel is claiming that God had made in Jeremiah and in Chronicles and so forth, When you know those promises, this verse is even more beautiful. While the prayer was still on my lips, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning in Daniel 8, being caused to fly how? Swiftly reached me about the time of the evening offering. I love this so much. Before the prayer is even uttered from the heart, God is attentive. God is listening, God is concerned. The entire universe is concerned that there is a cry for help such as this. In verse 22, and he informed me and talked with me and said, oh Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to do what? To help you understand, to help you make sense of what's troubling you. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out and I have come to tell you, and then what does it say? For you are greatly beloved. What are we tempted to doubt in the midst of our discouragement and not understanding what God is doing? He doesn't love us. He doesn't care about us. And heaven sends a messenger at the very beginning of the cry of his heart to tell him, you are greatly beloved. The people at the end of time who are struggling, was God gonna keep his promises or not? The only thing that's going to keep people in that time, we talked about this last time I was here in the faith of Jesus, is an understanding that they are loved by God. This is all that's going to keep us. And Daniel's given that message right away. God is deeply concerned with what's troubling you, and he wants you to know that you are beloved, that you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. And what he does is he gives kind of a breakdown of the 70 weeks. That's not the purpose of this presentation today. If you'd like to have a Bible study on that, I'm sure Pastor Jared would love to help you with it, but we don't have time to go into that right now. But while he's praying, heaven makes it clear that they're interested in what's on his heart before he prays. Gabriel answers, and God is eager to answer your prayers. That's the lesson we learn from this. He flies swiftly to help him, and he tells him in verse 23 again, he's greatly beloved. Then he shines light on the vision of Daniel 8 by giving another vision evolving time that gives the picture of what the big vision is about. So the 2300-year prophecy, the 70-week prophecy is very similar in nature. There's a time of probation given, a time in which people are to plead with God and work with God and be reconciled to God before a cutting off will eventually take place. It's very similar. They're parallel stories, just one shorter than the other. And it It talks about the Messiah being rejected and that will lead to the destruction, desolation, and displacement for the nation of Israel. That's what these verses are gonna talk about in 25 to 27. That the Messiah will be rejected, the city will be destroyed, the people will be displaced. And this happens in AD 70. And it's very interesting. There are three 70s surrounding this whole narrative. Jerusalem has been taken captive and they're in Babylon for how long? 70 years. When is Jerusalem going to be destroyed in the full consummation of the 70-week prophecy? AD 70. 
And then it says that 70 weeks are determined for your people. It's an important number in this whole narrative. 70 weeks are determined for your people. And it's very similar that when they reject the Messiah's messengers, it leads to destruction, desolation, and displacement. That's how they got in Babylon in the first place. That's how the day of probation for the nation of Israel will close in the time prophecy of the 70 weeks. And while we don't have time to go into that, it's worth noting that God puts his own life on the line to keep covenant with his people. Think about this. Daniel's saying, God, you keep covenant with your people. You have to help us. And the response that God gives through the angel is, you better believe I keep covenant and let me show you how much. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he should be cut off, but not for himself. Are you understanding? God takes that language and tells him, I'm absolutely a covenant-keeping God, so much so that I would rather die to fulfill covenant to you than to never fulfill my covenant. And it reminds me of the story of Genesis 15 at Abraham. God shows up to Abraham as he's struggling and waiting on God. And God tells him in Genesis 15 verse 1, Abraham, I'm your exceedingly great reward. I'm what you've been looking for. And you would assume that Abraham says, amen, Jesus, you're all I've been looking for. If you read Paul's account in Romans 4, but that's not how Abraham responds. Abraham's response is, no, you're not. You promised me kids and I don't have kids. You ever been there? God's trying to encourage you in the midst of your waiting and difficulties that at the end of the day, whatever you're waiting on is not more important than he is in your life. But man, you struggle to believe that. You ever been there? But God, I want my kids back in the church. God, I want to have kids. God, I want to get married. God, I need a job. And I know that you're enough, but I really need you to deal with this right now because I'm struggling. Abraham had one of those moments. God doesn't lecture him or slap him for being foolish. He says, let's go for a walk. Come outside, Abraham. Look at the stars. If you could number them, such will be your descendants. And in Genesis 15, God makes a promise to him that he's get his, his captivities or his descendants are gonna go into captivity for 400 years. They'll plunder their captives and they'll take the land because the iniquity of the Amorites isn't currently yet complete. But here's the interesting thing. Then God, after he makes this promise to Abraham, he tells Abraham to sever these animals. He severs animals. And in the Eastern culture of their day, the way that someone made a covenant with people was you did that. You severed animals and the two of you crossed between in the middle of those two severed animals and what you were testifying to the other person was, so let what was done to these animals be done to me if I don't keep my covenant to you. So God tells Abraham to sever these animals. He speaks language that Abraham will understand. This was talked about in Sabbath school this morning, wasn't it? God speaking to David in language that he would understand. Same situation here. Abraham falls asleep and he has a vision of a smoking torch passing between these severed animals. And what God is telling Abraham is, so let that be done to me if I don't keep my covenant to you. And God, the Godhead is torn asunder to keep covenant to Abraham. Amen? God says, so let that be done to me if I don't keep my promise to you. And Jesus himself is torn to keep covenant. So when Daniel's pleading with God, keep covenant, keep covenant, he says, you better believe I'm gonna keep covenant. And this is what it's gonna look like. I'm gonna be cut off, but not for my sake but for your sake. He preaches the gospel to Daniel to let him understand that everything that you're hurting and going through right now, there's a much bigger solution I have in mind and I want you to know about it. His name is Jesus. 
And he's coming to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, and to set at liberty those who are in bonds. Jesus is coming to heal his people and set them free. I love this. So, then we get to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel still finds himself under duress for this time prophecy in chapter 8. Though God gave him the gospel to encourage him, he still doesn't understand, are we still going to wait here for 2,300 more years before we can go back and you can cleanse the sanctuary, restore the temple in Jerusalem? And he doesn't understand what's going on, and we can have that. God said he's going to do something, and we wonder when he's finally going to come through. He encourages you. He picks you up. He gives you strength to get through a bad day, but you're still bearing the weight of unfulfilled promises from God. What do you do with that? How do you navigate that? Well, here's what Daniel did. He fasted for three weeks. Again, this is so important for us to recognize that Daniel is making decision after decision after decision, and they're hard decisions to make. When you're discouraged, when you're hurting, when God seems silent and you keep waiting, it's really easy to get slack and, and lax on your disciplines with God. But Daniel doesn't do that. He digs in even deeper, and he's not going to give God rest until he gets an answer. And that's our ticket to success, beloved. We have to dig in until we get those answers. So he fasts for three weeks and pleads with God to sort this whole thing out. And then he ends up having an encounter with Jesus Christ himself in verses like four through six. And then it says in verse 10, suddenly a hand, well in verse nine, he falls again in a deep sleep with his face to the ground. You ever been so overwhelmed? We talked about this a moment ago. You're so overwhelmed with what you're dealing with, you just cash out just trying to sleep it off and just try to survive life. But then in verse 10, suddenly a hand touched me, which had made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And maybe you've been here. God gives you some strength, but you're like, hey, I got, I, it's just not enough. Like I need more of you in my life. I appreciate the efforts that you're taking to help me, but I still don't even even have the strength to stand. I got nothing, Jesus. This is getting the best of me. But they don't stop there. Says, oh, Daniel, and then he says, man greatly beloved. Second time he's telling him and reminding him, I know it hurts, I know you don't understand, but I'm letting you know all of heaven loves you. God still loves you even though you're waiting. God still loves you even though you're suffering. You are a man greatly beloved and understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for now I've been sent to you. And then it says right after that, I stood trembling. I am fully convinced that there are far more people in our church than we realize who are not able to stand right now because of what they're dealing with in life. It's too hard and it's too difficult. And the only thing that will enable them to stand is the understanding that they are loved. Are you with me today? To know that I am to fully know and believe, as it says in 1 John 4, 16, to know and believe the love that God has for us. Our people desperately need this. The world desperately needs this. That's the only thing that got Daniel to be able to stand, that you are greatly beloved. And then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. But think about that. Daniel's been fasting for how long? Three weeks. What he was just told is that from the very moment you prayed, God's been working for you. But did Daniel see anything? No. He thinks God isn't doing anything. But listen to me, beloved. That doesn't mean that's true. 
Are you with me? In Daniel's story, that was not true. It looked like God wasn't doing anything, but God was working for him from the very moment that he prayed, which means that you shouldn't stop praying just because you don't see God doing anything. Are you tracking with me? Keep praying, keep trusting what God has said. And then he says, I've come because of your words. Your words were heard and I have come because of what you were praying. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. The entire time you've been fasting, there's been a war going on. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, the chief over the angels is what it's talking about, speaking of Jesus, came to help me for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. But now I've come to help you understand. And this is, again, such an important thing for you and I to wrap our minds around today because just because we're praying and we're not seeing answers, that doesn't mean nothing's happening, one. And two, Jesus is working for us, guys. Jesus was working for him from day one, overthrowing the forces of darkness. And what this tells me is sometimes the reason why we're not seeing answers to our prayers when we want them is because Jesus is duking it out with the devil on our behalf, fighting battles that you know nothing about. One of the reasons why we're waiting and struggling in waiting is because God is fighting battles for us. And yet we have the audacity to get upset at God because we think he's not doing anything for us when he's duking it out with the devil right then and there. What you see does not determine what God is really doing. And we have to trust by faith what he says. And what he says is, if you pray to me with all of your heart, I'm gonna listen to you. You know what that means? Whether you see it or not, you're to believe what he says. God, you've promised me that you're fighting for me and you're hearing me even when I don't see anything. And so I'm going to rest in that. I don't see it. And I'm tempted to be discouraged. But God, by faith, I'm choosing to believe what you've said in spite of what I see. And that, my friends, is true faith. Believing what God says in spite of what we see to keep pushing forward. So this gives us some insight into that great controversy, that battle between Christ and Satan at large, and also in our own prayer lives and when we pray and pray and pray and wonder why things don't come to pass, especially when we're praying for what God said that he would do. It's not because heaven isn't interested or that God has lied to us. There are other forces at play and he needs us to persevere in prayer and to claim his promises. Then it says um, in verse 14, my Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I've retained no strength. For how can this serve to my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, again, no strength remains in me now, nor is there any breath left in me. When you got nothing left, it's okay to tell him that. God can handle that. I want you to listen to this. This is from a friend of mine. His name's Norman McNulty. He wrote a commentary in the book of Daniel. He says this, The fact that Christ appeared in this struggle in the early verses of chapter 10, verses like four to six, I think. Yeah, four to six. The fact that Christ appeared in this struggle shows how much resistance the devil put into this battle. And the resistance was so strong that even Gabriel could not overcome it. Only the power of Christ turned the mind of Cyrus. And once he arrived, the battle ended. He told us that all heaven is given unto me in heaven and in earth, Matthew 28, 18, speaking of Jesus. And although the devil may have power, he does not have the power to resist Christ. Amen? Who obviously knew how important Cyrus' role was was in helping the 70 weeks and the 2300 days to begin. The entire plan of salvation was at stake. The things that Daniel was praying for were much bigger than even he realized. It was about the entire plan of salvation. 
And here's the struggle that was going on. The king of Persia was struggling. They'd given a decree to restore Jerusalem. Then a decree was given to stop the work in Jerusalem. And then a decree is given to let them go back and continue this work in Jerusalem. It was tumultuous. All that stuff is going on during this time when Daniel's praying and wrestling. These are parallel stories. So there are battles being fought that Daniel doesn't know about, that God is able to win because Daniel prayed. Are you with me? Daniel continued to persevere in prayer even though he saw no fruit of it. And that's what ensured that this whole thing can go forward, which again tells us you can't stop believing. You can't stop praying. You can't stop claiming God's promises because this is what's keeping him from doing things or it's what's allowing him to do things that he could not do if you didn't pray. This is how that great controversy plays into the whole battle of spiritual warfare. God can do things in answer to prayer that he could not do if you didn't pray. This is so important. And Daniel didn't realize the role he was playing, but what he did know to do was to remain faithful even when it hurt. And this is a lesson again for you and for I. All right, McNulty continues. Because of Daniel's faithfulness and unrelenting prayer, Christ answered Daniel's prayer and won the battle against the devil so that Cyrus would cooperate with God's plan. And Ellen White, one of the founders of the Adventist Church, she comments on this. Before the contest closed, Christ himself came to Gabriel's help. All that heaven could do in behalf of the people of God was done. The victory was finally gained and the forces of the enemy were held in check all the days of Cyrus, who reigned seven years in all the days of his son Cambyses, who reigned about seven years and a half. Once the victory had been gained, McNulty picks up again here, he says, once the victory had been gained, Gabriel let Daniel know what happened behind the scenes during the three weeks while he prayed. This even showed that there is a great controversy between good and evil, and God's saints, like Daniel, can play a key role in drawing in the power of Christ to turn the tide to victory. And God will do this for you. God, in his great mercy, will help us to understand at some point in time why what happened, happened. Daniel didn't have that benefit while he was praying for 70 years or while he was praying for three weeks and for 15 years waiting for the answer in Daniel 9. The veil was torn back later, but here's the blessing, beloved. You and I get the benefit of the lessons of his life so that we can see what God's doing while we wait. Are you understanding? Job fought a battle that you and I will not have to fight because we have Job's story. Daniel fought battles that you and I will not have to fight because we have Daniel's story. Right? They carried a much heavier load than we would because they never saw answers until the thing was over. You and I have answers before the battle even comes. And when the battle comes, we're to search the scriptures just like Daniel did in Jeremiah 25, Jeremiah 29, and 2 Chronicles chapter 6. That's our job, beloved. Go back to what God has said, and that is what will see you through the times when you don't know what he's doing and it doesn't make any sense. Are you with me? The prophecies of Daniel are intensely important, very, very important. But the practical stories are also important because that's what's going to equip the people of God to walk successfully during those times of prophetic significance. Are you seeing that today? I would encourage you to reread these stories. Even though you got the felt Bible stories about the three Hebrews in the fiery furnace, there's some big lessons for us for what's coming down the pike. Big ones. Big, big ones. It's no different here. Same situation. He's strengthened again. And then in verse 19, uh, listen, it's verse 18. Then again, one having the likeness of a man touched me and he strengthened me. This is the third time this has happened. And he said, O man, 
greatly beloved. A third time, he's affirmed and reminded of the fact, I know it's hard, but I will keep strengthening you and I will keep reminding you of God's love for you as long as it takes. And I don't know about you, but I take great consolation in that. Tremendous consolation in that. And then he says, fear not, peace to you, be strong, yes, be strong. I love that. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. And then he said, do you know why I've come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. There's still battles going on. And when I've gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come, but I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Jesus will keep fighting for me even as I'm fighting for you. And I love that so much. So Daniel didn't understand why his, praying, why his prayers were being hindered because a spiritual war was going on and it's the same case for you and for I. And so it's very interesting that Satan tempts you to believe that God doesn't care and God's not there. And you know why he does that? Because he wants you to let go of your spiritual disciplines because he knows how important your prayers are to winning the battle. This is such an important lesson for us right now. This is not the time to relinquish our spiritual disciplines. And I'm talking to me, right? You ever been steamrolled by stuff and you're trying to get off the mat? We go through those seasons. I'm going through one. And when you go through that, I have to remind myself, this is not the time to let go of Jesus. In fact, Paul even talks about this in Hebrews 4. I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. Whoever you think it is, that's fine. But he says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. This is Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now, why does he say that? Because he knows that you're tempted when things get hard and nasty to let go of your confession, to get lax with your confession. He says, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And why? What does he tell us to do next? So let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When you're hurting and when you're down and out, that's not the time to let go of Jesus. It's the time to press boldly into his presence. Amen? And that's what God told Jeremiah and that's what Daniel clung to. It's no different than we see in the book of Hebrews. Listen to this. This is from the Great Controversy, a book talking about the history of the church and the, and the future of the church. The season of distress and anguish before us will require a faith that can endure weariness, delay, and hunger. A faith that will not faint, though severely tried. The period of probation is granted to all to prepare for that time. Jacob prevailed because he was persevering and determined. His victory is an evidence of the power of importunate prayer. That's the, I'm not letting you go until you bless me type of prayer. I'm not going to stop praying until you do something about it. Importunate prayer. All who will lay hold of God's promises as Jacob did and be as earnest and persevering as he was will succeed as he succeeded. Those who are unwilling to deny self, to agonize before God, to pray long and earnestly for his blessing. I'm sorry, these are here for your benefit too, not just mine. Earnestly for his blessing will not obtain it. Wrestling with God, how few know what it is. Think with me, guys, and I hope you're listening. If you fell asleep, it's warm, I get it, but listen to me, please, please, please. The lessons that we face, the difficulties that we face right now in the midst of our trials and circumstances 
are making us into the very type of person who could succeed when the big trial comes. And if we take those trials right now seriously, those will prepare us to succeed. If we learn the lessons we've learned today in our day-to-day trials of lost jobs, lost family members, lost children, difficult scenarios, when we learn to practice these things right now, it will set us up to succeed when it matters the most. And that's actually how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego succeeded in Daniel 3. They didn't just magically become faithful in the plain of Dura. They were faithful in every duty, we're told. They were faithful in all of their trials, which set them up to be faithful in the biggest of trials. I think this is so important because it brings purpose to my current suffering. Are you, are you recognizing that? It brings purpose to what I'm going through right now because I recognize God allowed this trial, though he didn't create it. He allowed for it to strengthen me to teach me about his grace and his reliability when it hurts the most so that in future trials when it matters the most, I'm set up to succeed. And if I see that and recognize that in my smaller trials right now, I'm gonna be much better prepared then. Are you with me? And so God in his mercy gives us this opportunity. How few know what it is. How few have ever had their souls drawn out after God with intensity of desire until every power is on the stretch when waves of despair which no language can express sweep over the suppliant, how few cling with unyielding faith to the promises of God. This is our challenge today. This is our invitation today. For some of us, all we have is the promise. What we're waiting on isn't happening and we feel stuck, but God is saying, I've got this. And if I've carried you this far, I'm gonna take care of these circumstances. But I tell you what, reality doesn't look like that right now for some of us. God may tell you to go forward and you get mowed down and don't understand why, right? Abraham was called into the land of Canaan and when he gets there, there's famine in the land. The nation of Israel is about to judge the Benjamites in a really nasty narrative in Judges 18 and 19. And they get mowed down by the Benjamites three times, even though there's less people. And it makes you wonder, what is God doing? Those times of apparent failure. We must continue to cling to God's promises. We've got to cling to what he said. Listen to this, told this in Desire of Ages. Oh, back to you. Desire of Ages. Every promise in God's word is ours. How many of those promises? Every single one of them are for our benefit. By every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God are we to live. When assailed by temptation, listen to this. Don't look to your circumstances or to the weakness of self, but to the power of the word. All its strength is yours. Thy word says the psalmist, have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. By the words of thy lips, I have kept me from the pass of the destroyer. And then we close with this. This is so beautiful. The Israelites had no real excuse for leaving their work on the temple. Okay, they had stopped building the temple and were focused on building houses for themselves. They were discouraged. It was hard. And this happens to us, doesn't it? We get discouraged, life gets hard, and we stop focusing on building God's kingdom and we're waiting on God to come fix our kingdom. Are you with me? This can happen to us and it did to the nation of Israel. They had no excuse for this, she says. And the time when the most serious objections were raised was the time for them to persevere in building. But they were actuated by a selfish dislike to encounter danger by arousing the opposition of their enemies. They did not possess the faith that is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. They hesitated to move forward by faith in the opening providences of God because they could not see the end from the beginning. And that's when we give up. It looks like God's not doing anything, so we quit. When the difficulties arose, they were easily turned from the work. 
Maybe you and I are too. This history will be repeated, we're told. There will be religious failures because men do not have faith. When they look at the things that are seen, impossibilities appear. But God can lead them step by step in the course that he desires them to take. His work will advance only as his servants move forward by faith. He can only do what he's promised to do when we take him at his word. While they may be called upon to pass through trying times, yet they should ever remember that they are contending with a weakened, beaten foe. Amen? God's people will finally triumph over every power of darkness, and hallelujah for that. Beloved, there is victory afforded for us. There is hope in the midst of our trials and difficulties, but we're not going to find that help and we're not going to find that hope if we quit before he gets there. Do you see that? We have to persevere in faith and believe what God has said in spite of what we see, and God always proves faithful to his people. He will never fail us. He always proves faithful, but we've got to cling to his word. I've found so much encouragement and help in studying this. I hope this has been a blessing to you. My head feels foggy. I'm traveling and I'm kind of a mess. I hope it made sense. But I I hope and pray that you will go back and study these prophecies. Study Daniel 8, 9, and 10, and then go look at the stuff that Daniel was studying to give him the response that he had, and then look at what God did for him when he claimed those promises. And if you do that, you're gonna leave that study filled, satiated, and filled with hope. Amen? God in heaven, I thank you that you long to bless us more than we've had courage to ask, even when we're in captivity and exile. And Lord, I pray that we would look at Jeremiah 29 and 11 completely differently for the rest of our lives because that promise was given to Daniel when he went through the spiritual discipline of seeking the word to understand what you're doing when he doesn't understand. Many people right now that are listening to this, I'm sure, are fighting battles that other people may know nothing about and we're wrestling and trying to make sense of what you're doing God, we don't understand you. We don't understand what you're doing. But I pray that through what we've heard today, we would better appreciate just how faithful you've been to us and just how much you long to provide for us. Lord, forgive our sins and cover them with the blood of Jesus. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, act, we pray. We ask this 